0: Welcome to Brains and Gut, the GI Innovation Podcast brought to you by the Innovation and Technology Committee of the American College of Gastroenterology. On this podcast, we interview innovators in gastroenterology to unpack their secrets to their success and bring tips that will empower you to be the next innovator in the field of GI. I'm Vladimir Kushner, and today we're joined by our host, Tofa Kachami, as well as our distinguished guest, Dr. V.K. Sharma. Dr. V.K. Sharma is a practicing gastroenterologist with over 20 years' experience as an entrepreneur. Prior to his entrepreneurial life, he was a professor of medicine at Mayo Clinic and vice chair of gastroenterology research there. He has published over 300 peer-reviewed articles, many book chapters, research abstracts, and presentations. And he has been recognized by Stanford University as among the world's top 2% of scientists. And now I'm going to turn it over to Topic.
1: Thank you, Vlad. And uh, Dr. Sharma, thank you for joining us. Uh, Dr. Sharma has founded multiple successful medtech device startups in GI and even outside of GI, surgery, cardiology, women's health uh, and consumer health, and uh, secured over 100 million in venture funding. So we're really excited to bring him on the show so he can share his uh, expertise uh, with us and uh, give us some of the lessons he's learned along the way. Uh, being our first uh, guest, uh, you are going to help us uh, answer the question: What is the first thing that an innovator should do if they have an idea? So, if you can start by telling us your thoughts on that question.
2: Well, thank Vlad and Tafik for the opportunity to talk to you, and I want to thanks the college for the opportunity to be on this uh, very interesting podcast. So, uh, you know, your your question is: If somebody has an idea, what does he do next? And I'm assuming this is a person that want to take his idea to the next level because a lot of us have ideas, but you want to move to the next level, turn it into a product. I think the first question that anybody who wants to take his idea to the next step has to ask internally who or what they are. I mean, are they an inventor? So these are basic scientists that are that are developing new knowledge and then they want to bring the idea to the market. Are they innovator just like, some of us that use existing technologies and apply it to the new problems. That's what most of the gastroenterologists are. And then the last question is, are you going to partner with somebody to get this idea into a product and then to your patients, or are you going to do it yourself? And the do-it-yourself guys are the entrepreneurs. And all these pathways or all these uh, terminology have different pathways. It's very important for somebody with an idea to try to define who they are and what pathway they're going to take. And then the next question a lot of people will ask is, how do I do it? And I usually actually turn it around and tell them, why do you want to do it? Because it's very important for a person to know the why of innovation. And I think that's extremely important as we'll talk through this podcast That's a long journey, and if you don't have a good why, you're not going to stick with it. And the last thing is the how, and we'll talk a lot more about this. I think the how is easier than the why and sort of defining what pathway you're going to take.
1: So you're telling us the process is easier than figuring out why you want to do it. With why, do you mean are you trying to change the world? Are you trying to make money? Are you trying to make an impact on, on people's lives? Is that what you mean by the why? That's
2: exactly. You know, basically all of us, you, I want, have a full time day job where we are making an impact in people's lives. So and that's gonna compete for your time. And and a lot of time when you talk to the entrepreneur, the biggest resource they don't have is time. So really your why for innovation should be as important as your why for clinical practice or even more important when you start time allocation to those things. So that's why I think and we'll talk a little bit more about that because you're gonna have a lot of time where your why will keep you going rather than the how, because the how is a lot of blocking and tackling and there are a lot of you know time there, you, know, you stumble, but that's the, the why part of it keeps you going. So it's, I think it's very important that you figure out your why because innovation is actually a
1: marathon and not a sprint. Okay. And then you have to be enjoying the process, not just looking at the outcome. Is, is that correct?
2: Yeah. Right. Why you will really enjoy the painful process of innovation.
1: So let's say I have an idea. And the first thing I need to answer is, does this idea exist or is it novel? Uh, any thoughts on, you know, how we can go about figuring this out?
2: Yeah, so I think, you know, uh, before you start with the idea, you know, innovators are problem solvers. So I think the first thing you may want to go is what problem are you solving? And a lot of time what it happens is you have this brilliant idea and suddenly the problem becomes the most important problem. So I would say to people, you know, focus on the problem first. What problems are you solving? Is that an important enough, big enough problem for you to spend the next three, five, seven, ten 10 years of your life? So, and then talk to the people and the problems are not proprietary. So you can, you know, you can talk to your colleague and try to figure out the problem you're trying to solve is a real problem. And then comes the idea is the solution to their problem. And, uh, you know, you have an idea, you want to know if that idea exists, if it's, if it's unique novel, you know, ideas, I think of them like hypotheses and research. So you're going to start searching. And the easiest thing is look around. And if you don't have a product that solves the problem, that's a good start. That means there doesn't exist a product. And then you can start searching on the internet, on the Google and stuff. Because a lot of time, the products, before they arrive to US, they take this scenic route they may be available in Europe, they may be available in Asia, but they haven't arrived in the US. So internet searches will tell you if the product exists. If you haven't found a product, then you're in a pretty good shape in my opinion. The last thing you wanna know is, you know, if there's not a product, there's an idea. And you know, nobody owns an idea unless there's a patent. You know, there's no law that tells you you own an idea. So to own an idea, you have to have a patent. So I would suggest everybody to learn how to do patent searches. You know, I, I take analogy with clinical medical research because innovation is really the next step of research. It's just like you do Medline searches or PubMed searches, if you want to get into innovation, you should start learning how to do patent searches. And this is not hard. You know, there are tutorials on the internet, you can watch on YouTube, you can go to the USPTO, which is the, the patent website, they have tutorials and you want to start learning how patents work. Because you want to own an idea, you have to have a patent to say that that's your idea. So I think that's the process you may go through to find out if a product exists and if somebody else, if there's no product, own that idea.
1: Perfect. And uh, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question on the problem trying to solve. Does the problem determine your market size? And is is that... You know but the problem you mean the clinical need? Yeah, so I think you know basically
2: that's a good question and market opportunity market size is 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 uh, you know uh, probably a podcast in itself. but very quickly, just because the problem is solved doesn't mean it need it doesn't need or problem is small, doesn't mean it doesn't need to be solved. But again, you know, it sort of drive your pathway on the size of the problem. you know, And then also, if you're gonna go into the startup mode, usually the problem has to be large to have a good or a large return on investment. But even small problems could fit into a company's like, in a, like a Medtronic or a Boston Scientific portfolio very nicely, and then that's worth pursuing. So I think sort of defining the market opportunity and the problem size helps you also decide which is the direction you're gonna take
1: when you're trying to develop your idea uh, and then uh, so you you feel you did the patent search and you did the product search and you realized okay it looks like I might have a, a, a brand new uh, idea that no one has patented up till now uh, what would be the next step after that
2: yeah so uh, there's an idea that you think is unique there's a problem that you think is worth solving and you've wedded that out. The next step I would what I do, and maybe people may take different route, is I I go and try to file a provisional, you know, and and so I'm now trying to own the problem nobody can own. You can only own a problem through owning an idea and a product. So now I'm trying to own that idea. And I quickly file a provisional. Now, you don't have to sort of run the first day you have idea to file a provisional. I sleep with the idea for a little while. I it the idea on paper, you know, and you have to not only look at the way you want to do it, you also have to look at the way somebody else could do that. So you, you go through this process. It could be two weeks or two months process. But once I have sort of exhausted my brain, then I will put it on a paper and file a provisional. And it's not expensive to file a provisional. It's not hard to file a provisional. It doesn't require a lot of expertise. But that provisional buys you a year of quote unquote ownership of that idea. And then the next thing I do is, you know, see if I can develop a prototype. Um, It's expensive if you go out, but you know, depending on what your idea is, you can tinker in your garage. You can, you know, I go and, and, you know, get used catheters and cut them and glue them and try to sort of flush out an idea if it's a catheter idea, stuff like that. And prototype also sort of allows you to think differently. So those are the two steps I would try to do uh, when I have an idea. And then the third thing I do is if I have a provisional, I feel comfortable talking about it. So then I start flushing out the
1: idea with other experts. Uh, Thanks for mentioning this. So a lot of uh, innovators are typically scared of sharing their idea uh they're scared of it being stolen or or uh, someone else is gonna develop it what are your thoughts on that and does a provisional uh protect them if you can explain that to us
2: yeah so I think it's it's a very common fear that somebody's gonna steal your idea but I think it's a lot overblown you know and and the reason it is you know, I know that you have $10 billion ideas. And so does Vlad. And, you know, why is Vlad gonna work on your idea when he has his own? So most of the innovators have, I mean, they're problem solvers. They have a lot of their ideas. So I think it doesn't happen. What really happened is, you know, since you're an innovator, you an inventor will come up with a CRISPR or mRNA. So he's uniquely positioned. But most of, most of the innovators are looking at a problem that thousand other people in, say, GI are seeing. And then hundred of them want to solve the problem, so they come up with the idea. And 50 of them will do nothing about the idea, just mulch in the brain. Other 50 may start talking about the idea. But there's one guy that's going to run with that idea, you know, and this guy's going to win the race. And when he gets the medal, a lot of people feel that it was their idea that won the race. You know, so I think that's the psychology that goes behind people thinking that their idea is going to be stolen. But having said that, if I'm wrong, you have the provisional, you know, so that's why I basically go and say, listen, you know, you're getting into the business of science and you have to start investing into the business of science. So file a provisional. Provisional will protect your idea for a year, okay? Okay. It doesn't get published, nobody knows, but you have filed this idea with a USPTO. You don't have to be an expert. A Lot of dry grants, description on a piece of paper filed with the, with the USPTO. And now you, for that one year, if your idea is unique, you have the priority on that. And I'm pretty sure you're gonna bring a patent person to explain all these things. The second thing that people do is non-disclosure agreement. So that basically makes your discussion confidential. And a lot of people use the NDAs as, you know, you know, theft prevention maneuver. (laughs) I don't think that's what it is. You know, so when you're talking about your ideas to people under, not under an NDA, these are not confidential discussions, they're called public disclosures. And once you publicly disclose your idea in enough detail, you can't patent it. In the U.S., you have one one year from that public disclosure to patent, and outside the U.S., you have lost all patentability uh, of that idea. So the NDA basically allows all your discussions, and you should start having discussions because to get the collective knowledge of engineers, other colleagues, into sort of flushing out that idea, all these discussions discussions are confidential so you can feel that the idea is protected, but also these are not public disclo- disclosures. So that's those are two things you can do if you're concerned that the idea may get taken away. And what I try to do is get these t- two things done and then start I get out of the closet very fast and start getting feedback from people because you know this is innovation is a team sport. You know, no one person can innovate a product. So he has to bring in other people to give input into the idea and flush it out. And what I try to do is use that one year of provisional to further flush out my ideas, get feedback from the market, get feedback from other experts. And then comes the anniversary of my provisional, I'll go file the patent. So that's the process I take. You know, other innovators may have a different process. But in my opinion, that has worked pretty well for me.
1: And, and so that the provisional gives you a year. What what, uh, what should someone anticipate as a timeline from idea uh, to product, so, so people can understand the timeline? When you say a year, how much does a year buy you an uh, innovation timeline?
2: Um, not much. <laughs> so, you know, basically, now, that ear allows you to figure out, once again, what you have done the background research. Problem is a real problem, and your idea is a real idea. Once you have those two things figured out, you have a tangible asset. You know, so that's, that's what I would say. Now, that asset could be licensed out or could be developed in a startup. But that's what the one ear will get you to. You know, you really don't start, you could, but you really don't start your work till all that has happened. So there's a lot of legwork that goes behind an idea before you move forward with it. And after that, the marathon starts. So that's when you get to the start line. (laughs) When you file the patent, the gun goes off and then you start running. And, you know, it's, it's a long haul. And that's where, when I keep talking about your how or your why, that's what, allows you to keep running. If you have a good Y, you're gonna run this lace. You know, typically it will take years, three, five, seven, 10. And most of the technologies that you and I now use, you look around, have been 10 plus years in development. So it's a, it's a long race. So usually people say it takes twice as long and costs twice as much. And I tell them that's an understatement, you know. So you gotta be patient and you gotta be persistent Because if the problem is worth solving and your idea is the right idea, you will win the race. So, you know, be ready for a long race if you want to
0: get into innovation. VK, so here the question that kind of comes up for me and, you know, the one where I kind of tend to stop most of the time is how do you know that your problem is a problem that's really deserving of the attention that you're going to give in your solution in Something that the market is willing to is willing to embrace and pay for. Um, I mean, I think that's that's the hardest part for me figuring that part out. Kind of before you decide, as you said, you only have a certain amount of time in the day, and you know, is this idea worth investing time that you could have spent, you know, doing something else? Yeah. So I think
2: you know, basically, I. I mean, this is why I love this podcast because I want more physician to be involved with this process. I don't think that we have enough physicians, you know, jumping into innovation because of those kind of concerns. I can tell you, nobody knows the problem better than you or Tafi or the person that are living with the problem for 10 years. You know, that's, that's, you know, Most of the people that are better innovators have been in medicine for 10 years. Now, people are starting to come out of med school and doing innovations or bio-design programs. They will be the process people, but you and I and Tafiq, who are the clinicians who are doing this work every day and dealing with this, the first day, it may not be a problem, but if on the 10th month, it keeps popping up, it's a real problem. And then you're basically asking, is it a big enough problem? So you call five people and they say, oh my God, solve this. So you have to do that kind of work. But I think that's why we need to be involved because we understand the problem and we also are best suited to know whether a solution will work or not. Now, I may not be able to build that device or that catheter and that's where you have got to bring the team. But I can look at a catheter and you can and Tafi can and and say, well, you know, this is going to work or this will have problems. So I think that knowledge that physician bring to the problem is very critical. So, you know, for you, for your questions, if you're seeing that problem and it's happening common enough, I do believe it's worth solving. And then you go through that process of doing, you know, just like background research on that. Instead of a medline research, you're going to also do you know, research with your colleagues. How many people are seeing this problem? How many people think this is a problem? But if you think it's a problem, I think there's a good chance that it's a problem worth solving.
1: I'm going to ask you two questions that we're going to ask uh, from every guest who comes uh, on the show. Uh, the first is, what's the common mistake that innovators should avoid uh, when starting out?
2: So um, the commonest mistake they made is they're thinking innovation is easy. And, and they think that they, could, they can come with a great idea and suddenly, you know, a big check will show up. You know, I, I just don't think it happens like that. I think innovation, and, and I've done clinical research, as you know, I've done education, clinical practice. This is the hardest of things that I do. And it basically brings into everything that you and I have learned, practice, how to do research, you know, education to building a product. So it's almost the fourth pillar. You know, we we know of the three pillars of medicine. This is the fourth pillar with all the knowledge, all your expertise come to develop a product to solve problem. So that's sort of the second thing. Um, and If you want to do innovation, you got to learn execution. You know, no idea made anybody's life better. It's making or executing on that idea to make a product or a service that then got applied to a person. That's where the value comes. And so a lot of people say, my job as a clinician is come up with the idea and I shouldn't be the person doing the execution. And I think that's the biggest mistake. And we have made that mistake many a time. We have made it in clinical medicine when we thought, you know, running hospitals and clinic is not the clinician's job. And now we are stepping up to that plate. I think similarly, innovation is 100% our job, you know, because what we are doing is developing products and services that benefit our patients. So I would say, learn if you want to do innovation, take it as a full-time track, learn how to execute well, and start executing it. And then other things that if, if that's, you want to be innovative, but you don't want to go then track, it's an ecosystem. And a lot of us can participate in this being an early adopter. So being involved with clinical research with new products, you know, we need the whole village to bring a
1: product to market. I'm really grateful for you sharing your expertise. The last Question that I'm going to ask you is, what is your advice to someone who decided to take uh, uh, to to take the jump and start the journey of innovation? Your number one advice?
2: So there are many. I think I'm just going to summarize what I what I said. So you know, people have you know figure out who you are as an innovator or inventor, entrepreneur. And you don't have to be one. I think usually you are two of them to execute on the plan. You know, just figure out your why, because you all of us are doing great patient care work. So, you know, we don't need another job. So you need to have an important why to get into that. Um, I don't think, you know, having a big problem or, or, or a good idea is enough. So start investing. If you're going to go into clinical research, you will not just say, I want to do clinical research. You will learn the tools to do good clinical research. So similarly, you have to start learning the tools to execute and learn patterns. You know, there are other things that we haven't talked about, you know, regulatory processes, reimbursement. There, there are things that we don't think about that come into innovation. And the most important thing that you can do is start building a network, you know, and it's a network of peers that are doing innovations. You know, I, I usually say, get to know the doers and not the talkers because they have walked the walk and they have experiences and reflexes that you're not going to get from reading books or, or listening to podcasts. You want to have people you can pick up the phone and call and say, hey, listen, I'm having this problem. What do you think? And most importantly, you know, we all do that, but network with people in industry and treat them nicely because they, you need them to either license your idea or develop your idea, because you know the, the physicians are a very important component, but a component of the innovation process. You need engineers, you need people, managerial people to to bring your product uh, to market. And finally, you know, you and I, if if you're in med school, and you want to go into innovation, you can go attend a six month course or take a class on the side. It's very hard for practicing physicians like you and I to just take off a year and learn the process of bioinnovation and go do a, a, a year worth of course. It's very hard for people to do it. And this is what I say learning by doing. And what I mean is get involved with the process of innovation. You know, you don't have to be working on your idea as a first project. You know, you can start working with other innovators that bringing an idea, you know. So you start working with other people's idea, you're working on their dime, you're learning the steps, and then you bring that knowledge to your idea. I and mean, that's how I did. I, you know, I didn't. I worked with technologies. I was fortunate enough to work with good people, good technologies. And while you were doing that work, you're learning how this thing was happening, and then you bring it to your own idea. You may choose, that, oh, it's too hard, I don't want to do it. But I think that's a process for working clinicians to learn the execution part, and then they can decide you know, if they want to pursue it uh, to to develop the idea. So a long answer, but I think that's sort of the thought process you have to go through before you take a jump uh, in doing this stuff. And it does consume a lot of time, takes a lot of effort. So, you know, you just want to go through a full process of wedding. This is who I am. This is what I want to do. But I tell you, once you get to this side, it's a lot of fun. So, you know, and that's what keeps you going year after year after year doing these kind of things.
0: Yeah. VK, one one more question. Um, So I think you hit on a very important point, and that's kind of, you know, that innovation is a team sport. And especially as a busy clinician, you, you are the... Genesis for the idea, and you know, you identify the problem. You start, you start identifying a solution. But how do you go about building that team, especially if you're not at a major academic institution, you know, at a small university or a practicing physician? um, How do you go about finding engineers, finding business people, um, and others who can kind of help you bring your idea to fruition?
2: Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's uh, a great question. I think the hardest part once you've decided that you're going to do that is forming a team. You know, that's, and, and that, you know, if you talk to people that have done innovation successfully, they said that's the most critical part and probably as important, if not more important than your idea and the market, but that's that's your execution pathway. Now, if you're a university, you know, you have the resources with your tech transfer. So, you know, just take them out for coffee and learn from them, because that's the avenue for a university physician to develop their technology. And then tech transfer can, you know, find a mechanism. Now, if tech transfer doesn't want it, or if you're a clinician um, in private world, then this is sort of where I said networking helps, you know. So I think this is where if you work with, you know, you can't pick up a phone and call somebody or you can call a headhunter and they will find new you a know, person. You could, but that's, I don't think is a good way of finding your team. But if you have worked with people, you know, as a clinician in practice that is using new technology. So when that rep comes in and say, I got this new device and you look at that, you're going to do your diligence, but then you offer your partnership to that person. Or if you're a researcher and a new technology is doing clinical research, you start working with them, and that's how you build your network. And out of that network could come people that are willing and able to then work on your idea with you to develop the product. So I think that's it's a process, and that's sort of where we as a clinician do have an advantage because we have been in the field for 5, 10, 15 years interacting with the people That will form your team. So you know, so that's some of the interpersonal skills and how nice were you to them, and you know how much collaborative work you did with people in industry and other clinical investigators. That's sort of where you get your team out of to develop the products.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you, VK Tofik. Any questions from your end?
1: You well, know, I just want to you know, thank you
0: for coming on and sharing your expertise
1: and uh, knowledge. Uh, and we look forward to collaborating with you in the future.
2: Thanks, Tafik. Thanks, Wad. Thanks for the opportunity to talk to you. And uh, good luck with this uh, wonderful podcast. I'm going to be looking forward to learning as I'm continuously learning from you know all these experts that you're
0: going to be bringing on this podcast. So thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Brains and Guts, the GI Innovation Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please subscribe and drop us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also send us questions and ideas for future episodes to brainsandguts at GI.org. We look forward to talking to you soon.